Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. I know Thanksgiving is over, but I still want to take a little time to talk about our favorite foods. We're going to go over the official Thanksgiving food power rankings. We'll speak to Lucas Kwan Peterson, food columnist at the LA Times, for his take on where all your favorite Thanksgiving foods rank. A little preview of what you're in for, turkey ranks dead last in this list. Pumpkin pie doesn't fare much better either. And cranberries could just be the most controversial food item. But which one will be on top? Everyone has opinions on what Thanksgiving foods are great. We're all packed around a tiny table crammed with different dishes that different people have made. And we're having to field passive aggressive comments from our aunts and uncles and cousins. And (laughs) what better way to talk about what foods suck? And the number one food that really sucks is turkey. I'm sorry to say it. People don't know how to cook it. They put the whole bird in the oven so the white meat and the dark meat don't get cooked evenly. The white meat usually ends up bone dry like you've just got cotton balls in your mouth. And let's face it, when you're making your Thanksgiving plate, how much turkey do you actually put on there? No, where it's at is the sides. So turkey is at the bottom of my list. Yeah, I have to really agree with you. And your article, one very effective question. How often do you see it on menus and sit-down restaurants relative to other proteins And it's not very often. So I have to agree with you there. I do get some. It's almost a courtesy that you get the turkey and you put some on your plate, maybe put some gravy on it to help. But you're right. Turkey ends up being one of those things. It's just really tough to handle. It's such a big bird a lot of times when you try to feed a big family. And you're right. The uneven cooking really brings it down. Number 19 on your list, very low on the list, is pumpkin pie. I think you're either team pumpkin pie or not. Yeah. I It's never really appealed to me. You kind of eat it once a year. It feels like an obligation rather than something you actually enjoy eating. And frankly, the texture of it, as I said, and the appearance of it, it kind of looks like dog poop. Sorry to say it, but it kind of <laughs> does. And it's really not appetizing. Number 17, cranberries, because cranberries shows up twice on the list, number 17, and then way up at the top, number five, canned. So let's talk about cranberries fresh and canned. I really would like us to show some love for the canned cranberries. I think they're delicious. You get that kind of satisfying plop on the plate as you're opening up that ocean spray can, kind of makes that satisfying, moist, wet sound just like a can of dog food, like you're putting it in the dish. And then it's got the dimples around the edge. And I just like that. I just like the tanginess and like the denseness of it. It kind of reminds me of like eating a fruit roll up or like a fruit snack. I know that one uh, definitely could cause some problems in the family. My family usually does a little bit of both. So they'll do the can and they'll do some fresh for those that want it. I think if you can prepare the fresh cranberries well, then those can be good. But I think, again, most people just don't know really how to cook those properly. And why not just go with what you know is going to be good? And that's the canned cranberries. Number 16 on the list is sweet potato casserole. I know a lot of people love this. This is kind of one of those other ones where you either really love it or you really hate it. A lot of times it comes with marshmallows on top. I prefer the way my grandma makes it. She makes it with like piloncillo, which is just like this nice little soupy kind of caramelly broth that she cooks the sweet potatoes in. And it's tasty just as is. No marshmallows. 
sweet potatoes again it's you like it or you don't like sweet potato fries I don't like it's just something about the I don't know the sweetness or the flavor or the texture I would much rather be eating mashed potatoes it's nice when you have the torched marshmallow on top or the peeloncillo as you were saying but yeah it's just kind of not my thing 13 we have pecan pie number 12 brussels sprouts Now, I love Brussels sprouts. Got to have a little bit of bacon on them, but I like the line that you wrote here. Be careful not to overcook them because they'll smell like farts. And I have to agree with that one. We all hated Brussels sprouts growing up as a kid, but now they've become a super trendy thing to have on restaurants. And they're really delicious if they're cooked properly. So that's the trick. You just got to cook them right. All right, let's get into the top part of the list. Number 10 is roll or biscuits. And I got to say this, one of my favorite parts for me, it's got to be King's Hawaiian rolls with a little bit of butter on them. Some people will sort of ride or die with biscuits, which I totally understand and respect. But what's good about rolls is that it's great for then making a sandwich with the leftovers the next day. But biscuits are good too, but you really have to know how to make them. You can't use bread flour. You can't use like a hard wheat flour. You have to use like a soft wheat. Most people don't know that. and They end up making hockey puck biscuits. So rolls are definitely the safer choice. That's why we cut to the chase, like I said, and just use those King's Hawaiians. Okay, number nine on this list green bean casserole. I'd rather just have some green beans with a little bit of salt and pepper on them, nothing else. But I know this is a staple of a lot of families. I think if you grew up eating it, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up outside of the city of Chicago. And so, you know, Midwesterners have a thing about casseroles. We have a thing about canned soup going into a casserole dish and making a hot dish, making tuna noodle casserole, green bean casserole. Green bean casserole, interestingly, was invented by the Campbell Soup Company. And so you get that cream of mushroom soup. I mean, yeah, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty sickening, frankly, if you're not really used to eating it. But again, it's just nostalgia and you get the crunchy fried onion on top. So for me, it's a must have. Number six on this list is ham. Now that one is kind of in direct contrast to the turkey. A lot of people do love it though. Who doesn't like a nice ham? I'd like to see more ham. I think some people sort of had an issue with me putting it as a Thanksgiving food and not as a Christmas food, though I tend to think of it as just a holiday thing that people eat on Christmas or Thanksgiving. You get a nice maple glazed ham, honey glazed ham. It's hard to say that ham is underrated, but I think as a holiday dish, I'd much rather see a ham on the table than turkey because I think it's a little bit easier to cook and it's probably going to taste a little bit better. Okay, number five on this list is cranberries. We already talked about that. Number four, cornbread. What are your thoughts on cornbread? Cornbread is one of the few perfect things in life. I mean, like anything, you have to make it well, but it's just a fantastic side dish. It goes with anything. It's a little nutty. It's got great texture. It's a little bit sweet. Put a little bit of whipped honey butter on it. It's really a fantastic thing just to have on the Thanksgiving table. Number three is broccoli gratin. Now, this is one that I, in my own personal experience, have not really eaten too much. I've had it in different forms throughout my life, obviously, but not for Thanksgiving usually. A lot of people hate it. It's another casserole. So it's like broccoli and cheddar cheese and breadcrumbs. So again, the Midwesterner in me just has a very soft spot in my heart for the broccoli gratin casserole. Some people don't like it, but they're wrong. Broccoli gratin is delicious and should be served at every Thanksgiving. All right, we're getting to the top two here. Number two is mashed potatoes and gravy. I love them. I always go back for seconds on this one. It's pretty hard to mess up, really, uh, mashed potatoes. 
Could you imagine going to Thanksgiving dinner and there's no mashed potatoes and gravy? You would turn around and you would walk out the door. Everyone loves potatoes. People have different techniques. You can do skin on, you can do no skin. I prefer no skin, but I think there's never really a problem with mashed potatoes. And then the great thing about the gravy, no matter how you make the gravy, if you like to do it with the giblets, no matter how you like to make it, you pour that gravy over your entire plate. It just kind of lubricates the whole meal. And who doesn't like mashed potatoes? All right. And the number one Thanksgiving food, and I will gladly agree to this one, it's stuffing. It's so good. It's got tons of flavor in it. It's bread. It is one of the top Thanksgiving foods for sure. Absolutely. Who doesn't like delicious seasoned stale bread? Who doesn't like that baked in the oven? You get those nice crispy edges. Tastes like onions and parsley and sage. It's delicious. You can make stuffing a million different ways. You can make it with cornbread. You can make it with regular bread. You can make it with pretzels. You can make it with crumbled up bits of old bagels. There's any number of ways under the sun to make stuffing. I really do like the recipe in the old Vincent Price cookbook. Vincent Price, who did horror movies and did the scary voiceover for the thriller video. But I just love stuffing. It's really fantastic. Are are you a stuffing inside the bird or outside the bird? I'm definitely inside the bird. Yes, thank you. And it's frankly the one good thing about turkey is to impart flavor into the stuffing. It's really sort of its its only use. But yeah, you got to have stuffing. Lucas Kwan Peterson, food columnist at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Finally for this week, we'll talk about the snowball effect in the supply chain and how it's raising prices and making it harder to get some of the items that you want. The biggest challenge that beer and liquor makers are facing is obtaining glass bottles. America loves their chicken tenders, and prices have jumped because of delays at meat processing plants, and specifically in Tyson Foods' case, they chose a bad rooster. Medical equipment, toys, video game consoles, and even your favorite athleisure wear are all facing setbacks. For a look at some specific items hurt by backlogs and rising prices, we'll speak to Phil McCausland, reporter at NBC News. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, it's been a very interesting project. I mean, for me too, just to see where everything is is being held up at. But yeah, I mean, we, I thought, you know, I've been talking to my bartender, I've been talking to (laughs) the guy at the liquor store, and I mean, they've been seeing it for a while. So I thought that's a good place to start. So, you know, reached out to um, some beer makers who I, who I happen to like, like that one in Burlington, and really kind of tried to dive in with them about where are you guys seeing the pain most? And that's where it came out where, yeah, they're having issues with getting carbon dioxide, machine parts, aluminum for cans. You know, they're starting to warehouse a lot of items. But the common denominator from beer, liquor, and to wine is really that issue with obtaining glass. And I think, especially with these upscale beers, the wines, and liquor, you're seeing, you know, these really kind of specialty glass bottles you know, talking to the head of glass manufacturing or a guy who kind of leads glass manufacturing here in the United States, he said, you know, we're really pumping out glass domestically, but they have just a, a kind of a, a standard bottle that they're making. The specialty glass that our alcohol makers need um, are usually coming from overseas and aren't being made as readily and are harder to obtain. And it's tied to their brand identity, which I, I like that you put that in the article because that's so true, right? Everybody wants to stand out. So it's not like one of these manufacturers can just switch to these generic bottles. They have to stick with what they got. And if they don't, let's say they do switch, it changes everything. It changes the labels that you got to put on these bottles. Everything needs to be adjusted down the line if uh, something as uh, major as the bottle changes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we don't necessarily realize is that when you start selling booze, you have to get the label approved by the government in many points. And, uh, you know, it just becomes a real issue when you start making changes. It becomes, uh, you know, as, as one winemaker said, a, a real snowball effect of other issues that you then run into. So changing your brand identity, I mean, imagine Grey Goose saying, you know, we're not going to change to a smaller bottle or a, a standard bottle. Those bottles are iconic, right? And right. that's how, you know, consumers connect with them. Let's talk about chicken tenders because I thought this one was so interesting, right? America loves their chicken tenders. We Earlier in the pandemic, we were seeing shortages of even uh, chicken wings. But this one right here, tenders, this is uh, a lot, has a lot to do with the meatpacking plants, labor shortages that are there. But beyond that, there's all sorts of things that affect it. I thought chicken tenders was great because everyone loves chicken tenders. But I mean, the price of, of chicken overall has gone up. But chicken tenders, I think, is, is, is really kind of a, a bit of Americana in a way. And I mean, we're seeing uh, chicken tender prices at all time highs. And yeah, you're seeing it really at, at the processing. And, you know, as meat processing, especially in chicken, has become more vertically integrated, those companies also have oversight of chicken production as well. So one of the major issues that I thought was really, really fascinating is that Tyson Chicken, which is, you know, one of the largest chicken producers in the world, noted that they changed out the male rooster that they were using, and uh, suddenly they realized that they were having major issues with egg laying. So they were switching back, but they said that it could impact chicken sales through the mid-year of 2022. The guys from Tyson said, you know, we're changing out the male rooster, and they said, quite frankly, they made a bad decision on it. I mean, I don't know what prompted it in the first place, right? But uh, it just wasn't working out for them. So this big disruption right there is going to have those rippling effects. And and for other People, you know, there's, uh, you know, rising costs in the market. There's the cost for shipping are increasing. Plastic and packaging is all increasing. I think they called it these uh, the three layers of that of sa- that sandwich, and it's not delicious for these uh, chicken manufacturers. So that's why chicken tenders are so hard to get, and and the prices are going up. Medical supplies and equipment. This is another interesting one too, because this has to deal with components that come from the other side of the world. In some cases, crutches, wheelchairs, walkers. These things are really hard to get. It could take weeks, eight weeks for a wheelchair. One manufacturer. Uh, that's how long it took to get there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was calling around to medical supply stores. I'd, I'd heard it become had become a real issue to the point that hospitals were actually actually asking people for donations of crutches and wheelchairs, which is, I mean, kind of a a troubling thing to hear when you hear of major hospitals needing donations to make sure that patients, you know, have access to things they really need. I mean, if you need crutches or a wheelchair, you you really do need them. So it was really fascinating to push into that. And then, you know, talking to the stores, they said, you know, we can't obtain them for this long. So I said, let's go to the suppliers. And the suppliers were saying, you know, especially with electric wheelchairs, finding tires is, is very, very difficult. But also a lot of their products are just kind of sitting in their factories as they're waiting for just some minor components from China. A lot of medical supplies are actually produced here in the United States, but getting it through the ports, you know, the major shipping issues we've been hearing have been consistent across uh, medical supply companies as well. And they're also facing, obviously, um, labor shortages as a lot of folks are right now. Yeah. For those tires that they need for those wheelchairs, they typically would take about five weeks to get come from China or Vietnam. They're saying there's delays up to 90 days for them to arrive for certain manufacturers. So, I mean, that really puts a strain on them, their ability to finish making them, right? And then uh, and then delivering out after that. I just think uh, that one was a, a particularly important industry to kind of highlight just because, 
I mean, obviously, those are people who are in real need, too. I mean, you can't go without your electric wheelchair if, if you really need it. Hearing these kinds of lag times for folks in those situations is definitely a, a huge challenge for those folks. We've been hearing for some time now about the impact of all these supply chain issues on holiday shopping. So these next two are pretty closely related. Toys, we've heard about a lot. And then uh, also video game consoles, really hot things right now, like the PS5 and the brand new Xbox. A couple of different issues affecting them both, but a lot of the same stuff. Some things are caught up on the ships and the ports with the electronic components. They're looking at uh, those semiconductors that they need. Both of these are, are being affected. Yeah, definitely a major issue. A lot of that is coming across the ports, whether it's shipping from Vietnam and Southeast Asia or, or China. Companies like Nintendo are, are saying, hey, we're going to start rethinking about you know how we're manufacturing products like the Switch, because a, a lot of companies are just having to really kind of go back to their plans and, and say, hey, is there any better way that we can get through this? But yeah, it's, it's just a consistent problem where you might have you know, 90% of the product done, but then you're just missing a few component parts. And the attitude, you wrote about the attitude from people like at PlayStation. They say, well, you know, if you get it this Christmas, you do. If not, you're going to get it next Christmas. The, the demand is so high for those that they're not necessarily going above and beyond to try to continue manufacturing those. They're going to complete what they have. And then if you get it, you're one of the lucky ones. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I mean, if you look at kind of how business models work with video game companies and video game systems, I mean, those are spread out for a number of years, right? I mean, the latest Xbox lasts for a number of years. Typically, we're about a, a year out since they released the new PlayStation, the new Xbox. This holiday season would be a huge, huge year for PlayStation and Xbox to sell new games that are specific to their systems. We're not going to see that this year. So it just kind of lays out their economic model a little bit further. And, you know, obviously our two companies, I don't think anyone needs to be very worried about. Sweatpants and athleisure. Now, this one was kind of funny just because you don't really think of it that much, but more than 97% of apparel sold in the U.S. is made in other countries. So right there, you already know why there's delays. Yeah, huge delays. And what I thought was really interesting about this one when I was diving into it a little bit deeper was a lot of the impacts we have to think about are not just immediately caused by the pandemic or new administration. There's also some effects from, you know, the past administration. Um, the Trump administration's trade war with China made a lot of businesses rethink where they were manufacturing to avoid tariffs. So a lot of clothing manufacturers have moved to Vietnam and Southeast Asia to kind of avoid the conflict that the administration had with China. And that appears to have hurt them a bit. Recently, Vietnam saw some a great number of shutdowns because of COVID in their plants. They've slowly come back online, but production was already quite a bit lower than the plants were in China. So yeah. now they're shipping across the, uh, the Pacific, and now they're having issues there. A lot of them are turning now to shipping by air, which is more expensive. It's just kind of, a again, another snowball effect of, of decisions and choices that then go back to affect our supply chain. This report's all part of uh, NBC News' two-week series called Race to Delivery, featuring coverage of the supply crisis in the United States. So a really good look into this right now. Phil McCausland, reporter at NBC News, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, 
give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.